Last week, chapter 28, we studied about Saul's last-ditch effort to get some counsel as he sought direction from a witch. Not, not an advisable place to go for your counsel or wisdom, but, but by the way, you'll notice as you look at not only this this passage, but also passages throughout the Bible. They're not always in chronological order. You remember last week, uh, Samuel told Saul, tomorrow you're, you and your sons are going to be with me. And if we read it, now we're going to read about um, another episode, and then we'll read another, next week will be about uh, the tragedy at Ziklag when David was gone. Uh, to try to get into this war with Israel. So these things, it would be impossible to put, I, I don't know if it would be impossible, but it's, the fact that they're not all chronological is not a mistake in the Bible. We find a lot of things like that. We even find books of the Bible. They're not, in, not necessarily in the order chronologically that happened. That is not a uh-oh. It's just the way the, writer, the writers who gave us this scripture put them down. So anyway... We're going to be uh, we're going to be in looking in First Samuel chapter twenty nine. These armies are gathering together. Let's just read a couple of verses. Verse one. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed, passed on in the re-reward with Achish. So the Philistines are amassing this tremendous army. And just the sight of them, last week we saw, caused great fear in Saul. If you look in chapter 28 in verse 5, it says, And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. This is a tremendous military gathering. One of them is in Aphek, one of them is in Jezreel. They're not in their final, they're just staging the battle. They're getting ready for the battle. Uh, by the way, you know, when you think about battles in Bible times, especially in the Old Testament, skirmishes, battles, conflicts happen in different places, different settings. For instance, uh, Absalom, you remember, was riding on a horse went under the tree, was drug off by his hair, he was hung, he was killed there. So we know they were fighting in, in a forest, basically, in woods. But the major battles did not happen in woods. They happened in valleys. And why was that? Any guesses? One of the reasons, one of the primary reasons is because one of the, one of the most powerful military weapons they had were chariots. And you could not fight with chariots on the mountains. And so these major battles were always in valleys. And here we, this Jezreel is a valley. As a matter of fact, Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel is synonymous, is the same thing as the valley of Megiddo. And which major battles were, it's a, we've been there, we've looked over that valley. That's where the valley of Armageddon is going to happen, where the war, armies of all the world are going to assemble. You couldn't do that on a mountainside. So these, they're, they're staging this battle in these valleys. The valley of Elah 
when David killed Goliath. You remember this, that the Philistines were on one mountainside, one hillside, the Israelites were on another hillside, and the, and the soldiers were in the valley of Elah. And so this is, these, these armies are gathering together, and when it says in verse 2, they passed on by hundreds and by thousands, to me that's like a, a, a military parade before, you, and, and by the way, they do that. You'll see this in the news sometimes. Maybe the Chinese or the, they got these great military parades showing off, and that's exactly what they're doing here, except in the very back of it, the rear of it, verse 2, is where uh, Achish was, one of the kings of the Philistines, one of the lords of the Philistines, and David is with him. So David and his men are following and bringing up the rear, and um, so let's just remind ourselves, I think everybody here has been familiar with these lessons, but, but David is marching now with a Philistine army, with Achish's army, and of course he has been an en enemy of the Philistines, right? He killed Goliath, he was not a friend of the Philistines, and yet he's marching in the Philistines' army. I wonder about him being in the very back of it, if that's just what the purpose of that was. Maybe it was by design. Maybe because he didn't want to be recognized. Who knows? I don't, he probably didn't have a choice about it. But anyway, we see these great armies assembling. And in verse 3, uh, number 2 there in your lesson, the, when the Philistine leaders began to see David marching with Achish, marching with, this, with the Philistines, they had a major problem. Let's look in verse 3. Then said the princes of the Philistines... What do these Hebrews here, why are these Hebrews, why are these Israelites, why are these Jewish people, and by the way, it wasn't just David, he had hundreds of men who fought with him, it wasn't just him. So the princes of the Philistines asked, why are they here? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day. So there's this, now there's going to be this disagreement between Achish and the rest of the kings or the lords or the princes of the, of the Philistines. And um, small letter B under two, just to kind of refresh you, everything about this was strange, bizarre, unusual. Number one, the only reason Dave, Achish trusted David was because David lied to him and said, I'm gonna be, I've been going out and attacking the Israelites when in really, reality he had been attacking the Philistines. So that's the only reason Achish even trusted him. And Achish himself should have known that people are going to question this. Why would Achish think as a, as a, as a king of Gath, a king of the Philistines, why would Achish think that the rest of the Philistines are going to be okay with this man who killed Goliath marching with them. Why, why are they going to think of that okay? So I'm just talking about all the reasons this was just unusual or bizarre. Three, David should have never been in that position. He was only there because he, the decisions he made. Number four, how could David, think about this, how could David, who refused to lift his hand against Saul when he had him in the cave, he could have killed him, he refused to lift his hand against Saul. Now he's going out in, in, with the armies of the Philistines to attack Saul. None of that makes sense, does it? I mean, this is 
But by the way, that's, that's really kind of a, a, an indication, a parallel of the, of the tangled web that we weave sometimes because of our bad mistakes. You do this wrong, then this happens. You wonder how you got here, and that's exactly, I believe, what's happening here. So in verse 3, we just read this. Achish defended his position and, and said there in verse 3 to the, to the rest of the leaders, the princes, I've found, by the way, it says he's, he's been with me these days or these years. In chapter 27, it tells us that David was with the Philistines for a year and so many months. I can't remember what it was, six months, seven months, something. And um, he said, I find no fault in him. Uh, since I, he's been with me. And so he's, he's trying to get them to convince, uh, da, uh, to, he's trying to convince them that David will be okay. Verse 4, and the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him, very angry. The princes of the Philistines said unto him, make this fellow return. We're, we don't want him fighting with us. We're going to go against Saul. We're going to go against the Israelites. We don't want him with us. Make this fellow return that he may go again to his place which thou hast appointed him. Talking about Ziklag. And let him not go down with us to battle. We don't want him fighting with us lest, here's our reason, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? How else, how can David ever get back right with Saul should it not be with the heads of these men? In other words... We can get into battle. He's going to turn on us. He'll kill us. He can take our heads before Saul, and then he can be reconciled to Saul. And so they're very uh, persistent that this is not going to happen. And uh, in verse 5 it says, They continued, these princes, is, is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying Saul slew his thousands and David his tens thousands? And so they remembered this, and they're just reminding they hadn't, they, you know, they didn't have a bad memory. They're remembering how Saul, David was the very reason why their, their, their champion, Goliath, was killed. And the whole nation of Israel celebrated this, this uh, victory. So Achish is convinced that they're not going to let David fight. Verse 6, then Achish called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, Thou hast been upright in thy going out and thy coming in with me, and the host is good in my sight. For I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me unto this day. Achish is saying, you've been, Achish, he really believed that. David had convinced him. Nevertheless, the Lord's favor thee not. Wherefore now return and go in peace. That thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. You don't want these Philistine lords, leaders, captains. You don't want them upset with you. We want to please them. Now, for, for one thing, you know, it's hard for me to imagine David's mind. We can't know this. You know, we might think we know what he was thinking, but I'm sure we don't. But in my mind, I'm wondering, the David that we knew when he faced Goliath did not care what the lords of the Philistines thought about him. So why would he care now? You know what I'm saying? Why, why, would, he, why would he be of interest now? And so David didn't want to leave, but he's going to have to leave. Now, I'm going I'm to get to this in a moment, but it's just on my mind now to say it. 
To read this, you would, one would think that David really wanted to go to war against Saul and against the Israelites, just to read it. But I can't convince myself that he really wanted that. I think he's in a place where he doesn't know what to do. You know, he should have he stayed home. He shouldn't have even been in this battle. He shouldn't have even been among the Philistines. He shouldn't have been living in Ziklag. He only went there because he was afraid that Saul was going to kill him, just to remind you, when God had already said, you're going to be the next king, he didn't have to be afraid of Saul killing him. But his fear caused him to go to, Ziklag, go to Achish. Achish gave him Ziklag. Now the, the army of Achish is going out to war. He wants David to fight with him. And so to me, he's, I think he's in a bad place. Don't you think? I mean, I don't see any other way of seeing this. He just, it looks like he's in just a horrible, horrible place. But look what he says in verse 8. And David said unto Achish, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Why are you keeping me? What have I done that you wouldn't let me go fight against Saul and my people? That'd be, that was where his family members. Why, why would he want to go and fight them? And so in my mind, I'm ask, I have to ask myself, is, is, this, is David seriously thinking this? And I, you know, let's just take a moment. Maybe you've got a, a thought about this that I haven't had. But I just can't see David seriously wanting to fight Saul. He's already given up two opportunities when he could have easily killed him. Brother Peterson. See, I tend to think the same thing. I don't think he really is sincerely means this. I don't think he wanted to fight Saul, but I think he's, like you said, he's just got to play this thing out. Gary? Why did he, David, why did... I don't, I, yeah, maybe, yeah. I think he liked being in Ziklag. I think he liked the place he was in as far as that was going. He was running these, he's like a mercenary. He's running these, you know. Go ahead. That's a good point, but he, I, think, I don't think they did know because when he would go and attack these villages and he would kill everyone, every, every breathing, there were no survivors. And, and that's the reason there were no survivors is because they, he didn't want anybody telling them what he was doing. Yeah. So to me, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's telling Achish, you know, why are you preventing me from going and fighting against Saul but I don't think that's really what he meant. I just think he's in a bad place. He's in a predicament and doesn't really know what to do. Um, so anyway, let's look at verse 9. And Achish answered and said to David, I know that thou art good in my sight as an angel of God. 
Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. And so that's, that's not going to happen. They're, just, they're persisting. Verse 10, Wherefore now rise up early in the morning, the king of Achish is saying, Achish is saying to um, David, first thing in the morning, when thy master, you, you're to get up in the morning with thy master's servants that are, that are come with thee, and as soon as you be up early in the morning have, and have light, as soon as you have light, leave, depart. Verse 11, so David and his men rose up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So they had been at Aphek. They're going to also go to this valley of Jezreel. And so David is, David is told he has to go home. Um, so we're going to, so the next, next week, next Sunday, we're going to find out what happens when David gets home. If you've read, you're familiar with the story, he comes to Ziklag, Ziklag has been destroyed. And so um, that's another interesting part of it. That'll be an interesting chapter, chapter 30. But I want to take, I want to take, I, I intentionally wanted to take some time today and talk about this, what I would call God's intervention on the back notes. Did God intervene on David's behalf? Like I said, David's kind of in a trap that he set for himself. He wasn't, he wasn't being honest with Achish. Uh, he caused this Philistine leader to trust him. That leader trusts him so much, he's going to send him into battle against Saul. And, and David could have got out into this. He could have refused to go. But now he's marching in the Philistine army. To try, to, try to picture what that would be like for David and his men. And so how are you going to fix this? So as I was thinking about this, there's, you got David, who's a man after God's own heart, who has who's dug a pit for himself, who's dug a trap for himself, and he, he, he's not willing or able to fix it. Now, and then you've got Saul, who was a man who had the Spirit of God upon him, who, had, who God was blessing him, who when God came upon him, it says that he gave him a new heart, another heart, he was a changed man, and, and yet he's made so many bad decisions, he's going to witches and asking for counsel. So two people here who should have a relationship with God, who aren't getting any direction, and these two armies are going together where unless something happens, David's going to be fighting against Saul, something that he was uh, determined not to do, is to harm God's anointed. So, the, so how's God, how is God going to stop this? God could, God could have let it play out. And there had been this, and that, by the way, it's, we're going to see in two chapters, it was a bloodbath in the valley of Jezreel, and Saul would be killed. But what, what I believe we have here is God took, who, who did God use to stop David from doing something that he would have regretted forever? He used these heathen Philistine leaders who said we're not going to let him fight with us so to me it's a it's a picture of God's providential intervention into this situation to keep something more horrible than we can imagine from happening it would have changed history if David would have fought against Saul it would have changed everything we know about David and his respect for God's anointed so really in my mind it's the Philistine leaders 
these, these heathen, uh, idolatrous, uh, anti-Israel, anti-God military men. You know, military men are known for not necessarily being spiritual giants. <laughs> and yet he, God is going to use those people to intervene and stop this from happening. That's kind of how I see it. And that's an amazing thing to me. Or some, something that we can't praise David for and we can't praise Samuel for or Saul for, but God is the one that did it. And, and I think that's really worth thinking about. I want to reserve a little time for us to do this. A small letter D, if indeed this was God's providential hand keeping David from fighting against Saul, he used the hardened leaders of the Philistine armies to give David a way out. So David's not following the Lord at this time. And Saul is certainly not listening to the Lord at this time. And so I, this is the only way I know to interpret this. This is the only way I know to put the pieces together and look under it either. Could, could God, and this brings it home to our own lives, could God, if he so desired, intervene in our circumstances to prevent us from endangering ourselves or keep us from sinning or to accomplish his will in the situation? And the answer to that is yes, God could, right? Now, I... I think we, I hope we'd all agree with that. God could. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we ought to rely upon that or say that God always will. For instance, if I'm, if I'm like David and I'm making steps that are against what I know is right and, I'm, deter and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being led by my own emotions and my fears rather than by the Spirit of God and I find myself in a horrible place and I'm about to shipwreck my life can I always count on God to intervene to keep me from making a foolish mistake? And the answer to that is no. I can't always count on that. Sometimes God does, but God's not obligated to do it. Now, am I making sense to you today? God's not obligated. If you and I make one mistake after another and, and refuse and we're stubborn and we're willful and we're not seeking the Lord... And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a bad place. Is God obligated? Can we always believe that God is going to intervene and, and, and stop uh, these bad things from happening? And I, I'd, I'd say emphatically, no. We have too many examples of people who've done that. They've, they've shipwrecked their lives making foolish decisions. I have, a, I have a, an example, sort of a, a parallel situation. Look in Genesis chapter 20 and... I want to, and it's not the exact same thing, but I think it illustrates the same point. Genesis chapter 20, I got there are more than one of these we could look at. But here's this, here's David. Now we know who, I mean, here, excuse me, here's Abraham. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I got all these names, David and Saul and Samuel, all in my head, you know, they don't always come out right. But this is, it's kind of like when you're calling for your kids. You may have to name three or four of them before you get the right one. But this in Genesis 20, Abraham, a man of God, a man of faith, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelleth between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she's my sister. 
And Abimelech, king of the Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So here, this is not. This happened to Abraham more than once. Happened to Isaac too, right? They, for for to save his own neck, he said, "This is not my wife. She's my sister." In other words, you can have her, but not me, basically. But God came to Abimelech. Now here's a guy that's you know we, this is not a man known for his spiritual. Uh, sensitivity here at this time but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him behold thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou had for the one which you've taken you've taken this woman she's a man's wife if you take this woman you're going to be committing adultery and Abimelech had not come near her sorry about that and he said Lord wilt thou slay also a righteous nation in other words okay let's go ahead and read a couple more said he not unto me didn't abraham say to me she's my sister and she even she herself said he's my brother both of them lied to me in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands have i done this and god said unto him in a dream yea i know that thou didst in this did this in the integrity of thy heart i know you were you, you did not know all the circumstances. For I also, here's the statement I really want to emphasize for a moment. God is speaking. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. I'm, I'm the one that's responsible for you not taking this any further. Verse 7. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for she is a prophet. He is, excuse me, he is a prophet. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not be know that thou shalt uh, surely die, thou and all that is thine. Now, so here's an example of a man, Abraham, a God-fearing man, who lied about his wife and would let Abimelech um, take her. And, and so God intervenes in a miraculous way. God speaks directly to Abimelech through this dream and says don't you touch her she belongs to another man and if you do, if you touch her you're going to die and then God says this just for the record I'm the one that kept you from sinning isn't that an amazing thing now what you say what does this have to do with with David and Saul and the Philistines it was a this is another example of God's divine intervention, how he intervened in an unorthodox way, in a very unusual way, to keep something really bad from happening. Because if Abimelech would have taken her, it would, it would, have, been a, it would have been a sin against God. It said that in the text. We read that a moment. So, so, all right, so we have these examples, and this is really what I thought would be worth talking about for a minute. We have these examples of how God, as in the case of stopping David from going to fight against Saul, as in Abimelech being stopped from taking Abraham's wife, got with the examples of God intervening in a providential, miraculous way. It happens. But that doesn't mean we should always expect it to happen. Because God... There's nothing in the Bible that teaches us that God would do that. For instance, the Bible is very clear. 
you know, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you, if you plant certain seed, you can expect a certain crop. But there are those times when God, by his grace, inter, intervenes. Um, so under these principles and applications, God has the power to intervene in our circumstances and prevent us from making foolish choices. But this is not his customary way. And here's some examples. B, God used a whale once. God used a pagan king, Cyrus, to send Israel back to the promised land. God, God used a donkey to speak to Balaam and other means to accomplish his purposes. But that's not God's typical way. And we should not count on God to always act in an atypical way to bail us out of our problems. God's preferred way, look and see, he typically wants us to seek his face for direction and make choices based upon his word and his will. We should not expect him to divinely intervene to prevent us from failing. And I, and I just think it's something worth mentioning and, and, and kind of nailing down. Yes, God can do that. But God's preferred, God's preferred way would have been for Saul to be sensitive to the leadership of God and not be stubborn and self-willed. God's preferred way would have been for David to seek the Lord's direction and humbly ask God for direction and not expect God to bail him out. That's God's preferred way. It may not be as exciting, it may not be as dramatic, it may not, but it's God's way. This is the way God, God works and... Um, there's a, go, to, go with me if you would to Psalm 32. Here's a place that I was reading this morning that uh, kind of fits into this. Psalm 32. In verse, in verse 8, just give you the time to get there. Psalm 32, 8. It's a Psalm of David. God is speaking in verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. In other words, I'm gonna, I'll, make my, I'll help you know what's right. I'll, I'll teach you. I'll instruct you. I'll guide you. Then verse 9, Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto me. So what is, what is God's preferred way for us is for us to be sensitive and responsive, letting him guide us. Not, not, not for him to have to intervene because of our foolish mistakes. So you have, you have this contrast here in verse 8. You have this responsive, sensitive, yielded person being led by God verse 9 you have this stubborn mule resisting you know having to have a bridle on it to keep him going the right direction and so you have these so to me one would be God's preferred way the other would be his less preferred way us being stubborn and self-willed and not sensitive to what God has for us um, so I don't know if any of that makes sense to you as far as this comparison with 
uh, Saul and the situation. But that's one of the lessons I think it's good to take out of this. Praise God. I praise God that the Philistine leaders intervened, I believe, because of God's providence to stop David from doing something that he would have regretted the rest of his life. But it never should have been there to begin with. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Sure. Oh, I agree with that completely. But back to the first part of that, do I, do I, it's a good point, a good, uh, I'm probably going to hear Terry, but, um, you know, could it be possible that David was kind of losing confidence that God was going to take Saul out? And so maybe he wanted to help God out on that. I, I personally don't think that just because of, of the way David has been in the past. But, but again, I don't, we can't know what's in his head. But if I was, I tell you what, if I was him marching in a Philistine army headed for the, Saul and the Israelites, I'd be, my mind would be going crazy, see? Amen. Well, there's another part of this that we'll pick up on next weekend. That is, because of this intervention, David was sent home early, which got him to Ziklag early to find out his family had been taken away to act on and save his family. Dave. We have to stop here, but, but I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that there are lots of times that God did things through us, for us, by others, to help us that we never, ever see. 
today, right? All right, if you are in the choir, it is 1046. You're one minute late, and it's not my fault. You're dismissed.